If you uh, have your Bibles with you this morning, and you should have your Bibles with you this morning, if you don't, why not? Nowadays, we can carry so many Bibles in our phones, so you should always have one with you everywhere you go. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 33, and then we're going to also jump to Acts 20. So Ezekiel 33 and Acts 20. While you're doing that, uh, my name is Dan Eddington. I am the Director of Missions for Three Rivers Baptist Association, which this church is a part of that network of churches. My job and responsibility is to support churches, to encourage churches to do leadership development, church strengthening, uh, help churches when they're pastorless, find pastors, as you know. Uh, some of you may remember I was the interim here for a while while you were looking for a pastor. Uh, I'm currently working with seven churches in our association that are pastorless. And so we have fourth of our churches um, without pastors. We had eight, now we're down to seven. But it's a long road because there's a huge shortage of pastors in the United States. Uh, everywhere, across the board, not just the Baptists, but everybody has a shortage. Matter of fact, the Catholic Church is bringing in priests from India because there's no one in the United States that are filling those roles. Uh, we have record enrollment in our seminaries, but they're not coming into the pastoral ministries. So uh, if you want to pray about something, that's something you can be praying about is helping us find uh, men who are called of God, who are willing to step up to the plate and take the role of being a pastor. It's not an easy task. And so anyone that we can get uh, is helpful. Uh, I am training up guys out of our association to be preachers, and hopefully someday they'll be pastors, but at least I need preachers right now too. So if you have a feeling of a call, maybe God might be calling you to the pastoral ministry, or maybe God might be calling you to ministry and you don't know for sure, we have a mentor group that we can help you to just go through that and see, is God calling you? Are you gifted for that calling? And what steps do you need to take? So if you're interested in that, talk to me about that. Uh, as uh, your director of missions, we also put on uh, different trainings and things. In February, all of our pastors in the association, I'm going to interview them uh, to find out what's the next step every church needs so that we can come alongside each of our churches to help our churches take the next step. What's the next step of growth? On May 7th, we have an evangelism training. And so you should be hearing more about that. Uh, Vaughn should be sharing that with you. But May 7th is our... Uh, Big Ignite is what it's called, and it'll be a time of training. We have uh, Dr. Matt Queen, who is the professor of evangelism at uh, Southwestern Seminary in uh, Dallas, Texas. He's going to come, and he's going to be our keynote speaker for that event, and he's going to be talking about evangelism. So uh, we do want to talk about evangelism today. So that's what this passage in Ezekiel 33 is all about. It's about us being evangelistic and us sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, I was asked, what was the title of my sermon for today? Uh, I was hoping you'd be able to see it, but the title for my sermon today is, Is There Blood on Your Hands? So take a look at your hands. Is there blood on your hands? I was going to paint mine red and come today, but I thought that would be kind of gross. So I didn't do it. But is there blood on your hands? That's the question. Because that is the question God asks us. And on the day that we stand before him on judgment day, he's going to say, show me your hands. And will there be blood on our hands? Amen. So we're going to look at what that means today. 
the title itself should cause us to tremble. It should cause us to step back for a minute and take a breath. Um, because our responsibility is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, that good news, that, that hope of salvation that can be anybody's. So let's look at Ezekiel 33, looking at verses 7 through 9. It says, Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman for the house of Israel. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, in his sin. But his blood, his blood, I will require from your hand. But if you on your part warn a wicked man, you have delivered your life. Amen. Now, God is saying to Ezekiel, he's, he's saying to his prophet, he's saying, son of man, in other words, mankind, Adam. That's what the word Adam, Adam means in the Hebrew, means mankind. He's saying, mankind. He said, I'm appointing you as a watchman for the house of Israel. And later he says to Israel, Israel, I'm appointing you as the watchman on the wall. You have that responsibility. Now, a watchman. What's a watchman? In, in the Old Testament, every major city had a fortified wall around the city. When I first went to Europe for the first time, we do uh, church planting in eastern Slovakia. But the very first time I, I went to Europe, very first time we went to uh, Vienna, I went to Košice in Slovakia, I've been to um, uh, over in Hungary, I've been into Poland and in these different places. And all of these different countries in Europe, they all have these old cities with fortified walls around the inner city. Because, you know, the towns have grown, they've gotten bigger, but, but what used to be the original city had these fortified walls. And these major cities had these fortified walls, and what they would do is they would hire a watchman who would have the job of standing on the wall. And his job was to look out at the horizon all time, just constantly on the look, looking out and looking for any enemies that might be coming. It could be a group of bandits that were coming. It could be uh, another nation, a warring nation that's coming towards them. It could have just been an enemy of some sort. It could just be a group of people that are upset with the city and are coming. And so the watchman on the wall's job was to keep watch, to keep a lookout. And his responsibility was to sound the alarm. Whenever there was some danger, there was imminent death that was possible, his job was to shout the warning, to wake up the, the, the populace, and everybody would get up and they would prepare for war or they would flee and go the opposite direction away from the enemy, whatever was required depending upon the situation. But if the watchman, if he had turned aside, now that's a polite way of saying gone to the bathroom, if he had turned aside, if he just walked away from the wall just, just long enough to go to the restroom, and he came back and the enemy was there, and he was at fault for not sounding the alarm, when it was all said and done, they would try the watchman. They would bring him before the city, and they would put him on trial. And most of the time, they would execute him for not doing his job, for not sounding the alarm, for not being the watchman on the wall. And so 
when God is speaking to Ezekiel, when he says this, he says, I've appointed you the watchman on the wall. And he says to him, if, if I warn and I tell you that those out there who were in sin are going to die, and you don't do the job of the watchman on the wall, if you don't sound the alarm, if you don't go to that person and show them the way of escape, now they're going to die, and they're going to die in their sin. They're going to die in their iniquity. And that's on their shoulders, because they didn't do anything about it. But what's on our hands is their blood. Their hands are bloody with the blood of the innocent. Now, some of you are sitting back there and saying, okay, Dr. Dan, I'm off the hook. That's Old Testament. We're New Testament people. <laughs> okay, we're, we're safe. You know, that was Old Testament. There's so much stuff in the Old Testament that, that we don't uh, apply to our lives in the New Testament, so I can just sit back and say, I'm, I'm, I'm off the hook. Now, look with me in the book of Acts, chapter 20. In Acts, chapter 20, verse 26, there's two verses. This is the story of the Apostle Paul. Paul has been in the city of Ephesus, and, and we all know that Ephesus later becomes a, a huge uh, point of gospel sharing for the New Testament church. It's in Ephesus that, that you know, young Timothy becomes the pastor. It's Ephesus that is at this, this crossroads of the world at that time, and uh, the, a big church grows in the city of Ephesus. But at this point in time, this is when Paul is leaving the city of Ephesus. He's been a couple years here now, and he's heading out on his missionary journey. And this is what he says in Acts 20, verses 26 and 27. He says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. He says, I'm innocent. There's no blood on my hands. I'm leaving the city of Ephesus, and I'm okay because I have done what God has asked me to do. I've been the watchman on the wall, and I've warned you. I've given you the whole purpose of God. I've given you the whole gospel message. I've shared with you. I've taught you. I've discipled you. I've worked with you, and I've worked with the city of Ephesus, and I've told people, and I am innocent of the blood of the people of Ephesus who didn't respond. He was saying, my hands are clean, folks. There's no blood on my hands. So those of you who sit back inside that sigh of relief, too bad Paul brought it into the New Testament. Paul took that blood guilt and he brought it over into the New Testament and he said, okay, God had said to Ezekiel, he said, to Israel, that they are the watchmen of the wall, Paul is now saying, believers, you now are the watchmen on the wall. It's your responsibility. Now, think about this for a moment. Think about it. On the day of judgment, you're going to stand before the Lord, and he's going to ask you, let me see your hands. And he's going to look to see are you guilty of the blood of any person that he had told you to share with that you didn't share the gospel of Jesus Christ with? Folks, 
when you look at this, it should cause us to tremble. It should cause us to shake in our boots. It should cause us to, to step back and take a breath and think about all of the people that I encounter, every single one of them, I'm responsible for them. Now, I know some are sitting there saying, wait, 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 wait a minute. No, you know, we've been taught all these years that we are supposed to be witnessing, but not every one of us has the gift of evangelism. That's true, I don't have it. Uh, you know, maybe somebody here does it. You can, you can witness to a door, doorpost and they'll come to Christ because you just have that giftedness. It's the way the Spirit of God manifests himself in your life. And it's just a piece of cake for you to do it. For the rest of us, it's a struggle. But it doesn't let us off the hook. We are still responsible to be a witness. We may not have the gift of evangelism. We may not be an evangelist, but we are to be a witness. We're to be an eyewitness, an ear witness, a heart witness. Somehow we're supposed to witness to people about the good news of Jesus Christ. It's our responsibility. And if I'm in a church any length of time, I always make sure one of the messages I share is the plan of salvation because I don't know if you're saved or not. And when I leave, I want no blood on my hands. Amen. I want to know that I've told you the good news of Jesus Christ. But we've bought into this lie, and it's in a lot of our literature. It's in a lot of different books. I just read one a few weeks ago, and the whole premise of the book was evangelism, and the whole premise of the book was this lie that we bought into. And the lie, this is it, that you have to wait for the right time and the right place and the right person to share the gospel with. And when all the planets are in a line or when you look at a person and they're glowing with the Shekinah glory of God, I don't know what it is, but we know this is the right time, this is the right place, and this is the right person to share the gospel with. Mm -hmm. Greek word, hogwash. <laughs> That's not true. Because the scripture tells us that every time, every place, every person is the right time, the right place, and the right person to share the gospel with. Now, they may not all be as receptive as that one that lines up with all the planets, or whatever it is. But your job is not to worry about that. Your job is to take every person you meet one step closer to Jesus, whoever they are. I don't care if it's you that I meet and you're already a believer and I just take you one step closer to Jesus or it's a total stranger who is lost and does not know Christ and I take them one step closer to the good news of Jesus Christ. My job is to be an eyewitness, an ear witness, a heart witness of what God has done in my life and the life of other people mm -hmm. and to take people one step closer to Jesus. Don't buy into this lie. Don't sit back and say, well, I'm off the hook because it's not the right time, it's not the right place, and this isn't the right person. Yes, it is. No matter where you are. Now, here's the problem. We like that lie, and we buy into it, and people have written books and made fortunes off of it because it lets us off the hook. We think that when we stand on Judgment Day, we'll say, well, God, that wasn't the right time or the right place, or maybe that wasn't the right person. We will have all these rationales and excuses. 
Because God's going to say, no, it was. I put you there. I let you encounter them. Now, you may only have just a moment to take them one step closer to Jesus, but that's your job. The scripture says that some plant and some water and some reap. We don't know what task we're doing at the time. And if we're lucky and we have the alignment of whatever it is and we get to reap the harvest, praise the Lord. But there's nothing better than sharing or watering or reaping. Nothing better. It's our job. It's our task. Amen. It's the easiest job that we can do. Share the gospel. It really is. Now, I'm from Springfield, Illinois, originally. That's where I was born and raised for a period of time. My father was a hog farmer, and I was never so excited as when they annexed the hog farm into the city, and it could no longer be a hog farm. <laughs> I was so excited. And no longer have to deal with those stinky things. We got annexed into the city of Springfield, and my dad decided, since we had such well-fertilized ground, that we should become truck farmers. Now, a truck farmer is just a, a produce farmer. Our job was to raise produce. We used to sell it to the grocery stores on, on, you know, on the side of the road. We would sell produce, and that's how uh, we would help make a living. My dad also worked for Alice Chalmers, Fiat Alice, whatever you want to call it. He worked for, for the company like Caterpillar. He worked with them for 33 years. But we were truck farmers. And we planted all of this produce in different ways. Some of the stuff we, we planted was we had a, a, a picker and a planter machine and it would be pulled behind the tractor and it would plant the, you know, the corn seeds in the ground or the bean seeds in the ground, whatever. Uh, we had a, a machine that we would sit on a sulky, there were two of us, and we would be pulled by a tractor and it would, it would cut a little furrow in the ground and it would squirt water. Every time it squirted water, you had to put a, like a tomato plant in. So sitting all day bent over like this, putting plants in, in the ground. When your back got hurting real bad, you would sit on this side and you would lean this way. Uh, if you know me, I have a bad back and it's because of all that stuff. Plus, bending over to pick green beans for a mile long roll for, for days and days. But uh, we would plant it that way. The one thing I loved to plant was wheat. Because the way we planted wheat was we just grabbed a handful of the seed and just went out like this and threw it. That was so easy. That was so much fun. You know, it, it was the easiest thing we planted was wheat. And you know, one of the parables, there's two parables that are very well known in the world, even by non-believers, the parable of the prodigal son and the parable of the sower. But it's really not the parable of the sower, it's the parable of the fields. Because in the parable of the sower, they just said a man went out to sow. End the job description. That's it. You go out and sow. And he sowed seed. It doesn't say much about the seed because the seed was always good. The seed of the gospel is always good. Amen. It never goes bad. Yes, yes. Then it talks about the different fields. Mm -hmm. The rocky ground, the, the thistle ground, the fertile ground. He goes into the different fields. It should really be the, the parable of four fields, but it's the parable of the sower. But he shows you that the job of the sower doesn't matter who it is. Just be sowing. And sowing is simple. It's easy. It's not complicated. You don't have to have a doctorate like I do to be able to sow the seed. I was sowing seed before I ever went to, went to college, before I ever went to seminary. 
Sowing seed is easy. But the problem is we're afraid. And we're afraid of what people will think. We're afraid of how people will react. We're afraid that we'll be rejected. And it's the fear that keeps us from sowing the seed. But folks, if you are afraid, you will have blood on your hands. Let me illustrate it. I was a missionary sent from Illinois to Iowa. We, my wife and I, we served there for a couple of years as missionaries. Our job was disciple making and evangelism. And uh, we replanted a church while we were there. And we did different things. And, and then we came back to Illinois. And um, we kind of stepped out of God's will. And the moment we crossed the Mississippi River, we knew we had stepped out of the will of God. And so we had to backpedal and figure out what to do. And so I had to get a job. So I got a job as a, as a tax collector. I went to work for the Illinois Department of Revenue. That's where I went to work. And that was my job. And while I was there, there was a girl who worked with me in the department that I was in. And her brother was in the hospital. He, he was younger than her and he had pneumonia and he was in intensive care. And she asked me if I would go to the hospital knowing I'd been a missionary, wanted me to go and share the gospel with him. So I went to the hospital, went to St. John's Hospital in, in Springfield. I went to the intensive care unit. I went into the room and I started talking to him and I started sharing the gospel with him and a nurse walked in. And I froze. And I stopped. And I thought, you know what? I'll just come back tomorrow because she had to do all these things and I'll just come back tomorrow and I'll share with you. And so I left. I got to work the next morning. My intent was to go after work again to go see her brother. And she's over in the corner and she's weeping and crying. And I went to talk to her and ask her what was going on. She told me her brother died that night. His blood is on these hands. I can see it. It's there. He was my responsibility. And I'd been a missionary. I'd been a missionary assigned in the area of evangelism and disciple making, and I froze. I froze. It's the simplest task unless we let fear take over. But we've got to step back and we've got to look at the assignment that God has given us, and we've got to step back and say, I can't be afraid. I've got to do what God has called me to do. I need to be more afraid of God than I was of that nurse. I need to be more afraid of what will happen on the day of judgment than about any other situation that I can think of that I get afraid and I don't share the gospel. Reality is God has called every single one of us, not just the guy who stands behind the pulpit, we, we've got that wrong, too. Amen. His job, my job as a pastor, is not to do the task for you. My job is to equip you to do the task. Yes, yes, yes. And you are responsible to go and make sure there is no blood on your hands because you're sowing the seed of the gospel and you're taking people one step closer to Jesus every time you meet them, mm -hmm. no matter who they are. One step closer. Don't be afraid. Don't let fear stop you from doing what God's called you to do. 
reality is it's our responsibility in the New Testament just as it was in the Old. So how do you stop, how do you prevent getting blood on your hands? Well, one of the things is you have to be consistent in your evangelism. You have to be consistent. You have to stop waiting for that perfect time and that perfect place and that perfect person. You've got to be consistent in sharing the gospel. Now, the problem is we have this tendency, we have this horrible tendency of, of saying, well, when I'm on fire for Jesus, I'll share the gospel. And, and you're going to have, some, you know, you're going to hear a message, you're going to see a movie, you're going to hear a song, something that's just going to set you on fire and you're going to be you know, hot for the gospel and you're going to go out and share and then all of a sudden it's going to be like the temperature outside is just going to drop. And you're not consistent in your sharing. You stop taking people one step closer. Because you're basing your desire to go on your emotions, on your, your feelings, on on how excited you are or how convicted you are of the need of lost people. Now, one of the things I've, I've just discovered, and it's, it's something I'm really trying to process still, is that one of the reasons that the churches today are so small is because we have forgotten what it means to be lost. Those of us who are believers have been believers so long that we have forgotten what it was we were saved from. And so the gospel isn't as real to us as it needs to be. And I'm still processing that, trying to figure out how do I get churches excited again for the gospel? To realize what it is we were saved from. Because what we've, we've become is we're really good at gathering together We'll even make disciples of one another. But that's not who we're supposed to make disciples of. We're supposed to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, of all people. We're supposed to go out there and reach people and, and make them converts and disciple them. But we're really good at making disciples of ourselves. Because it's easy for us to talk to people who are like us, theologically, spiritually. We meet somebody that, that pushes back on the gospel message, and we just turn around and walk away. And folks, it, it's not easy. I mean, it's not easy at all. I know lost people who push back really hard about anything that has to do with God. At the same time, those same people come running up to me and ask me to pray for them when something's going wrong in their life, but they don't believe in God and they don't want anything to do with God except when they need him. And you know what? Maybe they got that from us because we have forgotten. We've forgotten what it means to be lost. We've forgotten what we've been saved from and what they need to be saved from. And so we don't have the consistency in our evangelism of, of sharing and taking people one step closer to Jesus. You see, I'm trying to make it as simple and easy for you as I can. Just talk to a person and take them one step closer. I'm not asking you to memorize some, some huge presentation and that you have to sit down and, and share this whole plan of salvation or whatever it is with them. I'm just asking you to take them one step closer. One step closer. It's like 
my wife had our, the ladies from our neighborhood in for a craft day. And the first time she did it, she, she asked me, she said, well, how do I share the gospel with them? And I said, you don't. So how do I start the conversation? I said, you don't. And she's staring at me, kind of like you're staring at me. You know, what? I said, it'll just happen. And it was funny because I was walking through, getting ready to leave and go to the office. And as I walked by, I heard them asking her, what is it your husband really does? <laughs> Hello. Hello, he's a pastor. And he works with pastors. And he works with you know, 40 churches, and it just opened the door for her to share. Now, as she was sharing, she found there were a couple of ladies that were totally ignoring what was being said, and the others were asking questions. Folks, it's not hard. It's really not rocket science. It's simple. Take them one step closer, wherever they are. Listen to their story. Tell them your story. And then share his story with them. Three stories. Simple. You know what? People like to talk about themselves. Let them talk about themselves. Hear their story. Plug your story in where it fits with their story. That's called your testimony. And when the time is right, share parts of his story. You don't have to share it all. Just bits and pieces. You don't smile. God loves you. It's a huge theological statement. It's one of the simplest things we can say. But we have to be consistent. And the way we are consistent is that we don't tap into our emotion or our feelings about lost people. We tap into Jesus. Because you know what? He is so concerned, he gave his life for him. He's always concerned about lostness. He wants every lost person to hear the gospel message. And if we tap into his feelings and his consistency, we find more consistency in our journey. And we do that by having a quiet time with him. And just simple things like asking him every morning, Lord, give me your heart today. And so Brandon Heath, I think, came out with a song that said, give me your eyes, Lord, that I might see. Give me your ears, Lord, that I might hear. I had our pastors listen to that, that song and go to a community that wasn't theirs and play that song and then sit there and ask God, God, give me your eyes that I might see. Give me your ears that I might hear. Give me your heart that I might love. Yes, yes. And you know what? All of a sudden you start seeing things you've never seen before. You start hearing things you've never heard before. And your heart starts beating in a new rhythm, in a new manner. Yes, path. yes. So on the day of judgment, when God says, let me see your hands, you can be like Paul and say, I'm innocent of all men's blood. Mm -hmm. For I have shared the full counsel of God. Mm -hmm. Consistency. Also, you're responsible not only to go and make converts, share the gospel, take one step closer, bring them to the saving knowledge and acceptance of Christ, but you are responsible to disciple them and not only just disciple them, but disciple them to be disciples who make disciples. Mm -hmm. the, the Great Commission statement. You go ye therefore and make disciples, converts of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here's the exciting thing. You tell Vaughn the next time you lead somebody to the Lord, you want to baptize them. You want to get excited? 
baptize a person you led to the Lord. You know, years ago, I stopped being able to do baptisms because of my back. I could get you down, but I couldn't get you back up. <laughs> For some reason, people didn't, didn't like that. I thought it was theologically correct because I asked him, if, are you going to walk in the newness of life? If not, I'm just going to leave you down there and you'll get to heaven a whole lot quicker. But they didn't seem to like that. So I had to start having people who, who led someone to the Lord baptize them. I'd be in the water. I'd be the official representative of the church. But I started seeing, like the first time I did it, I baptized the husband. And then I let him baptize his wife and his children. And I watched the countenance on his face change. I watched his understanding of the gospel be enhanced. We are to make converts. We are to baptize them. And then we are to teach them all that he has commanded us, which includes making disciples who make disciples. Now, there's a dual reason for that. First off, God commands it. But secondly, if I lead you to the Lord and you reach people, praise the Lord. If I don't lead you to the Lord, the people that you were supposed to reach, not only is your blood on my hands, but so is theirs. Mm -hmm. Think about that. If I refuse to share the gospel for whatever reason, fear, doesn't matter. That person that could have come to know Christ and all the people they would have reached and all the people that those people would have reached and those people would have reached, all of their blood is on my hands. You see, it's not just simple math of addition and subtraction. It's multiplication. We are responsible to not only lead the person that we meet to the Lord, but to disciple them to be disciples who make disciples so that they can reach a multitude of people that I can't reach because I don't know them. Because every one of you have lost family members. Every single one of you have friends that are lost. You have neighbors who are lost. Maybe you know them, maybe you don't. You should know them. Co-workers that are lost. Fellow students at school. The lost around this building. Strangers that you encounter that are lost. And even your enemies that are lost. They're your responsibility. And just think how many people every single one of us encounter that if we bring them one step closer to Jesus, how big the kingdom of God can be. That's our responsibility. It's not our responsibility to sit in the church and to encourage each other and and. and and just have a good time of fellowship and, and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. It's our job to go reach the lost. To reach the lost. Now, we have very few empty chairs in here, but if we go back in the other room, how many empty chairs do we have? How many chairs can we fill? 
if we just do what God's called us to do, and that's to be the watchman on the wall, to warn them. Because you know what? God's already told people, he's already told them that they're lost in their sin. He's already told them that their destination without Jesus Christ is the lake of fire, damnation. He's warned them, and now it's our job to warn them. To do what the, the parable of the banquet is all about. Go out and beat the bushes and compel people to come to Christ. You know, don't just invite the people that will come. Don't just invite the people that are the low-hanging fruit. But go invite everybody. Not just invite them. Compel them to come to know Christ. And the way we compel them is not beat them over the head with the gospel. The way we compel them is that we love them with the love of the Lord. And we develop a relationship with them, a friendship with them. We get to the point where it's like Peter said, that they'll come to you and they'll, they'll ask you to give a defense of what you believe. When was the last time somebody walked up to you and asked you why you were different? What is it you believe? When was the last time someone went to you and asked you to give a defense of, of your faith? Anybody happened in the last week? It should. People should be asking us because we're, we're different. Not odd. We're different. We have hope. We have a promise. We have a peace. We have a joy. We have life everlasting. My question, do you have blood on your hands? Do you have a strategy for making disciples? Let me close with this. One of the guys that when I first started believing, I read his life story and I've encountered men that he had worked with and discipled and trained. It was a man named Dawson Trotman. Dawes, as he called himself, was the founder of the group called The Navigators which is a huge disciple-making ministry still going today. Dawes lived his life in the very way that the Navigators is, is formulated. He, he believed in sharing the gospel. He believed in praying for the lost. He had a cave outside his home, and he would go up to the cave every morning, and he would go in there, and he had maps all the wall of the cave, all these different countries that were lost. They would pray for a gospel witness for every one of these countries. And then he memorized the New Testament. You heard me correct. Memorized the New Testament. And he would quote the New Testament every morning. And he would go there and do that. And then he would, he would go out and he would invest his life in people and he would share the gospel. One day he, was, he loved convertibles. He was driving his convertible down the street and there was a kid standing in the street corner. And he pulled over and he, he looked at this young man and he asked him, well, what did God say to you this morning? What did God say to you this morning? And the kid just kind of da, 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 da. And he Dawson drove away. And the young man standing on the street corner said, he'll never do that to me again. I will always be ready. The young man on the street corner was a man named Dr. Billy Graham. Mm -hmm. And Billy said, he'll never catch me that way again. Mm -hmm. I know this, not just because of his book, but because mm -hmm. some of Billy's disciples discipled me. Mm -hmm. I heard that directly from them. Dawes had a, had a, a theory that, and it was his strategy that he would never go to bed 
until he had shared the gospel with one person that day. And he was just exhausted from his ministry because Billy eventually became the, the crusade evangelist that we know, know that he became. And he did all the disciple follow-up for, for the Grand Crusades, Dawson did. And he came home, he was exhausted, got in bed, realized he hadn't witnessed. And so he got out of bed, put his clothes back on, went looking for a hitchhiker. And so he drove around the community looking for somebody hitchhiking. He picked up a young man, got him in the car, and he said, oh, I can go to bed. He started sharing the gospel with him as quick as he could. And as, as halfway through it, the kid said, I've heard this before. And he said, I know you. And Dawson said, oh, no, I don't know you. He said, yes, you picked me up a few months ago. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when Dawson realized he really needed to work hard on his disciple making because if he leads someone to the Lord, he needs to disciple them. Mm -hmm. So he continued sharing with the young man, and he let him out, and he started to go home. He said, I haven't witnessed anybody yet, so he had to go back out and find somebody else. He had a strategy. He had a plan. May not be the best one, but he had a strategy and a plan. What's yours? What is your strategy? What is your plan to be able to share and take person one step closer to Jesus with everybody you meet. What's your plan to lead someone to Christ and then disciple them into being disciples who make disciples? What's your plan? What's your strategy? What's your church's strategy? We have to have that. We have to be about it. Not so we can sit back and say, hey, look at I got this 10-point strategy. No. It's so that you know what to do each and every day. How are you going to start a conversation to hear a person's story so you can tell your story and his story and bring them one step closer to Jesus? What's your plan? What's your plan? If you're one of the lucky ones that everything's in alignment and they say, yes, Lord, yes. Because sometimes that happens. Sometimes you meet a stranger and they are just ready. You know, every time we have a Southern Baptist Convention, the week before, people go out and knock on the doors in the community. So if it's in New Orleans, they're out knocking on the doors. This year it's in Indianapolis, and they're going to be out knocking on the doors. I remember one group went out and knocked on the door, and a person answered the door with his hand like this and was talking to them, and they started sharing the gospel, and the guy began to weep, and he pulled his hand down aside and he had a gun in his hand. Because he was just about ready to put it up here and pull the trigger. And they led him to Christ. Sometimes those alignments happen. But what is your strategy if it's one of those times to make that person a disciple who makes disciples? What's your plan? Don't let it be that you bring the baby and drop it off on the steps of the orphanage called the church and expect the orphan keeper called the pastor to do your job of raising that child. That's not a strategy. That's a cop-out. What's your plan? What's your strategy? How do you tap in to God's heart? What are you doing to tap into it so that you're consistent in your sharing so that you can be the watchman on the wall that God's called you to be? What is it? Make it simple. Ask God to give you his heart, his ears, his eyes. And go.
hear their story, share your story, share his story, and then take them and teach them all that he has taught you. Figure it out. Ask your pastor. Call me. You can find me at threeriversbaptist.org. Contact me. I'll help you. Whatever it takes. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today to hear the message and hear the calling that you've asked us to be watchmen on the wall. Father, I pray for every person here that I pray that you are touching their heart in such a way that they, they stop today and just take time to think today and the rest of this week about what it is they've been saved from, what it is that you've done for them to give them salvation and hope in the kingdom of heaven. Help them to remember what it was like to be lost. Help them to remember the, the fear and the anxiety and all of the other things that came with it. And Father, if they've never experienced that, that they were, they were blessed to be brought up in a Christian home where they never experienced that, I pray that you will still give them a vision of that so that they will have the heart desire to do the job of the watchman on the wall, to shout and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and to bring people one step closer to Jesus every time they meet somebody. May that be our mantra for the year, one step closer to Jesus. May it be our plan. May it be a start of our strategy. And may we go and bring others closer to you. For we pray in Jesus' name and for their salvation we pray. Amen.